This is WMUA Amherst, and you are listening to... In 2013, June, I was gearing up to leave New York City. It had been 20 years that I'd lived there. And it's an anniversary I'd been thinking about for almost 20 years. But you know, when it came, when I finally hit that 20, it actually didn't feel very long at all. It felt almost fleeting. In 93, I came to the city and I knew two people. And now, after knowing thousands, I was leaving with two people, my wife Robin and my two-year-old Harper. Now, as it should happen, Robin and Harper left first. There was a couple of weeks there where our lease was up, but my teaching job was not. And so this gave me a strange little piece of purgatory, basically returning me to my original single state. It was a very hot June and I took a bunch of bike rides in Brooklyn and Manhattan. You know, not making a big deal about it, but kind of just surveying the ranch one last time. Seeing where the fences might need mending, and just taking in the vista. Now the weekend before Robin and Harper came back to the city to collect me for that final move out, I headed for City Island. Now City Island is a part of the city I'd never visited. But this trip, it wasn't just a tourist trip. I was on a mission. There was a Wiccan store there, and I wanted a candle made. This candle would be one designed to give me and my fledgling family safe passage as we left. All dressed in white, on a hot summer day, I went up alone, hitchhiking on the subway part of the trip, and then biking out the final stretch. It took me a little while to find the little store, but it turned out that this Wiccan store would charge a small fee if you wanted to leave the candle to burn there. And I liked the idea of that because it was right on the edge of the city. To me, it made sense to leave it there. A few days later, Robin and Harper collected me. We got the last of everything in the car. I remember a particular rough episode trying to get the wheel off my bike. It's as if my bike didn't want to leave the city. And we got in the car. It was hot. I was still in a rage. Too angry because of my bike to register much of anything at all. But we made our way up the east side and into the Bronx. And when we were in the Bronx, I remember thinking, oh, wait, we're really close to City Island. I could almost feel that candle burning in that store as we crossed the border, leaving the city as residents for the last time. And Robin and I talked about it. And it occurred to me that at that very moment that we were crossing, three people might be taking our place. And that is the essence of the city. The moment you're there, you're a New Yorker. And in a lot of ways, the moments you leave, Yeah, an ex-New Yorker. Four hours later, we're up in Greenfield, Massachusetts at a grocery store. I got to the curb with a big pot of honey. 
I slipped right out of my hand and smashed on the pavement. Hello and welcome to Barbarian in the Valley. You can probably tell by the background music that we are not going down into the valley today, that instead we'll be doing a workshop special, an episode dedicated to a profession and all that goes along with that profession. This week, we'll be talking to my valuable friend, the Reverend Riley Short. This is Riley right here. My deal is I don't want to be a problem for the church. I want to be a solution for the church, or I want to be a servant of the church. Not only is Riley the father of my close friend, Susan, not only did he officiate my wedding, I consider him one of my role models. After listening to the show, I'm sure you'll see why. Riley has been a Methodist minister since 1957. A big part of being a minister is making frequent moves. For Riley and his family, that meant going where the church asked them to go. A process both challenging and meaningful. To start our conversation, Riley explains to us how the Methodist system works for placements. In our system, you generally start at uh, a very, very small church, usually a country church. From there, the bishop will put you where he thinks you're needed and you fit. And in our system, they, they look at you every year, but generally when you start out, they leave you about four years, maybe five. When you go into a country church, you got to learn how to do everything. And one of the neat things is those people sort of teach you how to do it. As a matter of fact, my first Sunday there, there had been a, a preacher who went on to be one of the great preachers of the Methodist church. Dr. Charles Allen, and he started his ministry at that church. And I said to the people, what you did for him, I'd like for you to do for me. So it's interesting, if you're in a small town, so you're pretty used to like having a, a, a preacher for four years and then losing them to yes. another church. Mm-hmm. So you prob- they're probably pretty well practiced at getting someone new and saying like, this is how we do things here, or this is what our needs are. They're not going to hang on to someone for 20 or 30 years. No, they won't. No. Not under our system. So how, do, how does the church know how to move you up or where to move you? It's no different from any other job. There are certain things that indicate whether you have abilities and sensitivity. If your church is growing in numbers and attendance is up, uh, the bishop looks at that. If finances are good, they look at that. And then sometimes, for instance, in one of the churches where I went, I was preaching at a conference. Some of the lay people there heard me preach and they liked my preaching style. So they went to the bishop and said, we want him. We need him at our church. But in our denomination, the bishop really tells you where to go and can you say no? If the bishop asks you to go and you don't do it, uh, you're not playing ball with the system. They have a system where they say, how do you feel about where you are? Do you want to move? What kind of a church do you want? All this stuff. And I never would fill that out. I was of the old school, which was, I'm reporting for duty. Uh, you put me where you need me. If you got somebody that can do the church better than me, move me. 
I should not be considered the church should be considered most of all so how long were you at your first appointment and where was that it was outside of Atlanta the name of the church was County Line I mean that's that was the best thing it could be identified with was <laughs> County Line I was there for three years and then I moved to Knoxville and was there for four years when I went there they were only having services two Sundays a month I brought them up to four Sundays so walk me through your churches leading up to Lakeland. I was at County Line in North Georgia. Then I went to Knoxville, and I was there in this one church for four years. And I had a very unfortunate move. I went to a church where I didn't fit. I ended up asking to move after a year. I got moved from, from one neighborhood church to the very next neighborhood church. And why did you make that move? I, the bishop put me there. Okay who happened to be my father. So right. that was kind of embarrassing. But what was meant for bad, I think, became good. So a new bishop came in, and I said, I don't want to be in this church. It was a mistake for me to go there, and it's my fault. I went with the wrong attitude, and I told the bishop, just move me. I don't care where, just get me out of here. So he said, well, are you willing to go over to Middle Tennessee? And I said, sure. I told you anywhere you want me to go. And I was moved to a, a, a church in Middle Tennessee, right outside on the edge of Clarksville, Tennessee, during the very beginning of the heat of the Vietnam War. And it was a military community. Then there was a huge church in St. Petersburg, Florida. Now they had a preacher who started his career as an associate in that church. And, un, and because of un, incredible changes and stuff, he stayed there for 46 years. His son was one of my best friends, uh, the ministry. Years ago, while we were in seminary, he invited me to come down, spend a week at his house. His dad said, how about having Riley preach for us on Sunday night? From that moment on, every time he had an opening as an associate, he would call me. He called me and asked me to come down, and he caught me at a good time. And uh, my wife was a Floridian, and here was a chance for me to come back to Florida. I became his associate for uh, five years. So that's another way to get moved. Yeah. Churches will buy you, so to speak. To do that in our system, both the Bishop of Florida and the Bishop of Tennessee had to agree to that. And that was a big church? Huge church. We had, uh, it, at the time I was there, we had the largest attendance of any church in, in, in Florida, maybe in the South. Okay. We're talking about 5,000 people wow. on Sunday. They had five services on Sunday. The sanctuary seated 2,000 people. And you, people would be standing in line waiting to go to church. At that time, St. Petersburg was the retirement capital of Florida. I was there for five years. Well, the senior minister had already been there like 44 years and the bishop knew that he was going to be moving and he was scared that the church would move me up to be the senior pastor and he said i can't let that happen so i'm going to move you let me get this straight who was scared that you were going to be moved up to the senior pastor the bishop was that why the was church he... would say we want riley to why be. was he scared about that because, again, it's a business. Here's a CEO level, the top level in the conference, probably. And here was an associate that just came in from Tennessee. 
five years, he's going to be the CEO of the largest branch of your business. That's going to cause a tremendous problem for him with all of the others who were in line for it. And I understood that because my dad was a bishop, and, and I accepted that. There were no hard feelings. You understood. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I really understand what you're saying, but I think someone with less perspective would get upset about that, might get wrangled about that. My deal is I don't want to be a problem for the church. I want to be a solution for the church, or I want to be a servant of the church. To do that, I'm going to be a servant of the bishop. I gave myself to the Lord. In the process, I give myself my professional career is in the hands of the bishop. I believe he's ordained to take care of the church, so use me where you will. He moved me from there to Leesburg. <laughs> it was quite a shift because here I was in the largest attended church in the conference, and I went to this central Florida village of 12,000 people. We had the attendance at that church was uh, about 300. Which wouldn't be bad for a place like Leesburg, but would just be so much smaller from St. Petersburg. Yeah, it was, it was, and it was a tremendous cultural change. I like to describe Leesburg. The traffic jam was when there were four cars at the four-way stop. And it was a conservative, very conservative area. I stayed there seven years. And the church grew. We ended up having a, an average attendance of 1,200. Well, that's, that would have been 10% of the population. Kids were in high school. Susan, my youngest, was started elementary school there. Did the radio broadcast of the high school basketball games. You know, I knew everybody in town, and everybody in town knew me. It was, it was kind of a uh, Garden of Eden, to be honest with you, because... Everybody was safe. We didn't have to lock our doors. We left the keys in the car. Everybody got along well in the town. It was, it was easy. Then I got moved to Miami. I moved to Miami two weeks after the Mariel boat lift. And you're talking about mass confusion. Now this move, this move to Miami from Little Leesburg, Florida, was a big move in the life of my dear friend Susan. As the youngest of Riley's four kids, Susan was just months away from becoming a teenager when the Shorts made perhaps the biggest move of all, one that took him from a tiny rural town to the big city. About the moving around, that of course had a tremendous impact on our ch like our childhoods, all of us, and on my mom. Like, not own your own house, set up home in a new place, and... My mom, that was like her house was her creative outlet. She had a great attitude and she never, other than as much stress as anyone has moving, she never really let on. But I just think back on that about her life, what a good sport she was about that, mm -hmm. but how with four kids relocating, how hard that must have been on her. How would you talk about that aspect of your childhood? Was that rough? Was it? I mean, there's a few things at once. I mean, for one, and I think this is really big, we all felt like we were a part of the ministry. That was sort of how my dad talked about it to us all. And my mom never took any credit for that. But she took the responsibility of it. Hmm. As kids, we all felt... 
a part of this thing. And sometimes it was annoying to be a part of that thing because it was like a responsibility that you didn't necessarily want. But there was also a sense of purpose. Of course, he had been through it because his father was a minister and then a bishop. So he had done his share of moving. He probably had that point of view of like, wow, I know I know how this is going to rock their worlds. And But I remember my dad talking to me about it before we did the move and asking me, you know, how I felt about it. And, and I was like, look, we're doing, you know, this is like God's work. And wherever we're told to go, that's where we should go. And I meant it. I felt that way. I have this very strong memory of leaving Leesburg. You know, even when I look back on that, it was bittersweet for me. On the one hand, I was just about to turn 13, and it was a time when kind of getting out of my small town was probably for the best for me. Moving to Miami was a chance to kind of expand. At the same time, I did love my life there and my I had a lot of freedom in my childhood there and a lot of wandering and roaming. And I remember I was with my brother. He was probably 18 years old. So we were driving in one car and my parents, I mean, we were just like, <laughs> it's making me cry just when I remember it, but just the tears, you know, just mm-hmm. flowing down both of our faces mm-hmm. as we drove through that town for the last time. And it was sort of like, well, there goes your childhood. Mm. I mean, a month later, I was officially a teenager. And Mm. I was in, to say new century is an exaggeration, but I was a few decades in a different time, it felt like, very quickly. Well, how did you feel once you were a year in Coral Gables? You know, I had this kind of amazing first summer there where, you know, so you show up in June. So the only way to make friends was the youth group at the church. But the thing is, is in a affluent place like Coral Gables, I mean, a lot of people leave all summer or most of the summer. So, you know, in some ways it was a very lonely summer, but then like halfway through the summer, I had my first like boyfriend and he was like gorgeous. <laughs> and it was like this, I couldn't believe what was happening to me. It was just this thing that, like, was not going to be happening for me in Leesburg. This move to Coral Gables also had a major impact on Riley's wife, Claire. See, when we went to Coral Gables, that was her home church. That's where she was uh, baptized as an infant, where she was confirmed. Her mother was still alive, was a member of the church. You know, it's hard to go home. And I didn't want to go there. And, I, and, and actually, that form I told you about, the district superintendent, who was middle management, made me fill out the form. And one of the questions was, is there a church you can't go to for personal reasons? And I said, well, yeah, Coral Gables. Hmm. A week later, I'm appointed there. So what do you make of that? Did they just not read the form? or No, this is the church that asked for me. And I didn't know that. The men, members mm. had heard me at this at this, engage, this speaking, preaching engagement, and they said, we need him. And they knew about my wife being a native of there. 
and they said this he already knows our church and we know him and we want him and so they asked for me but that was tough on Claire when the bishop asked me to go there he said I read what you put down on your form and he said and yet this is a church that's asking for you I'm not gonna make you go here Ryan. I'm gonna just let you let it be an offer to you and he said you talk to Claire and you pray about it and let me know well that was on Saturday my sermon was already done it was already written it was already cooked and I preached it three times the next morning and the scripture was no man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of me do you know what that says to me as I'm trying to think about going somewhere I'm looking back instead of going where he wants me to go and when I finished preaching that I realized that I couldn't say no to the bishop but I didn't say anything to Claire about that but after lunch we we let the children go and we cleaned up. We were cleaning up the kitchen. And she said, I'm getting the boxes together to move. I said, you don't have to do that. Let's talk about it some more and pray about it. And she said, no, if this is where the bishop wants us to go and God wants us to go, he must have something big for us to do there so let's go and that was her attitude which was your attitude yeah but you were protective of her of course but she, it sounds like you guys were cut from the same cloth well she was she's a lot better cloth than me <laughs> same cut well maybe the same cut but the cloth was different yeah. central florida uh, a uh, progressive but conservative area Prosperous. not as not as conservative as the church in Tennessee and certainly not as conservative as Leesburg but and here again the bishop said talk it over with your children and talk it over with your wife this is a different bishop by the way so I asked my four children two of them said go ahead and go to Lakeland dad and two of them said don't go to Lakeland stay in Coral Gables were and they all out of high school though? They were all, yeah, they were all out of college. They were all out of college. But uh, two of them lived in Miami and two didn't. So, uh, then, and then my wife said, I don't, I don't care where you go, wherever you go, we're going together. Go by my system. I just said, Bishop, if you need me there, move me. I felt like, and I told him this, it's easier to fill Lakeland than it is to fill Coral Gables. He didn't understand what I was talking about, but he found out. All this stuff I learned when I was in that church in Tennessee, it's amazing how God put me in these places to prepare me for Miami. So I moved to Lakeland, which is another Eden. And it is interesting to me, and I think this happens a lot, you know, where excellence moves up. But that's not necessarily where it's needed. Lakeland could run itself. It, it is could. such a strong... It definitely could run itself. But it's our cathedral, and it's where the headquarters for the Methodist Church in Florida is located. They have a lot of power, and they too had asked for me. 
In fact, the bishop's wife asked for me. <laughs> I think there's maybe a sense of I've earned not having to do yeah. the, the windows. Yeah. I've earned not having to mop the floor. And that is my dear friend Riley Short. It's a pleasure to be in his audience, whether that's around the dinner table or in a pew. Riley and his wife Claire raised four pretty amazing humans that I'm glad to call all of them friends. If you're ever in Lakeland, Florida, you may see him. He's the tall guy, not in any particular hurry, with a big head of white hair. He'll sit with you if you ask him. He might give you advice, comfort, or maybe he'll just tell you another story. Well, if you do sit with him, please tell him hi from me, his pal, Cody.